Welcome to the Empower to Connect podcast, where we come together to discuss a healing-centered approach to engagement and well-being for ourselves, our families, and our communities. I'm J.D. Wilson, and I'm your host. And today in the show, we're going to continue our series on stress responses. And today we're talking about the stress response of flight. So if you missed last week where we did an overview and talked through fight, you definitely want to go back and catch that because we set an, an entire foundation for how we look at stress responses, what they are. Um, And so it gives an in-depth look at what a stress response is, where it's coming from, all of that, before diving into the first stress response we talked about, which is fight. So if you you have not listened to that yet, go back and listen to that first. Uh, But today we're going to cover flight. And to do so, we've got Dr. Rachel Peterman um, uh, from the Memphis Family Connection Center. Um, She has served as uh, everything from a child therapist to working in school districts, working with school systems, um, working uh, at the Bowling Center for Developmental Disabilities. Exchange Club, Family Center, I mean, all kinds of places um, Dr. Peterman's worked. And and she is, uh, in our opinion, one of our favorite people to talk about this particular topic. And so we had her on today. We're super excited that she's here. Uh, Becca McKay, as you know, does uh, training with ETC, um, writes curriculum, does a thousand different things here. Um, But the exciting thing about our episode today is all three of us talking. So myself, uh, Becca, and Rachel, all, uh, we all, uh, deal with flight as our main stress response. And so um, I do think it gives us a unique perspective to be able to share about it today. And so I'm excited for you to hear it. Um, before you listen, definitely understand that uh, we are not giving any kind of prescriptive um, application for, you know, here's exactly how you deal with these things here. We're trying to give an overview and an understanding of um, how these uh, stress responses feel and work and um, to be able to build some empathy, build uh, some compassion, but also to give some sense of um, of an understanding of it versus do this, do this, do this when you see your kiddo having a stress response. And so uh, understand that, but we're excited now to bring you this episode. So without any further ado, here's Dr. Rachel Peterman, Becca McKay, and myself. Well, all right, we're back today and we are uh, doing our second week in the stress response series. Today, we've got um, one of our professionals from the Memphis Family Connection Center. It is... Rachel Peterman, Dr. Rachel Peterman. She's here today with us. And so, um, Rachel, thank you for being here. And also we've got Becca McKay, um, one of our ATC trainers, who's here to uh, just unpack the flight response. And so last week, um, if you missed the first episode in this series, definitely make sure to go back because um, we outlined what stress responses are in a pretty detailed fashion. We won't do that today. So if you want to go back and get that uh, summary and kind of get the overview of what a stress response is, please do that. Um, But today I'll just say, you know, when we, uh, a good overview for us, just when we experience stress, trauma, or danger, um, and that doesn't have to be real, by the way, it could be perceived. um, Our brains and bodies have an instinctive reaction that's called a stress response. And so um, the big three that you always hear about are fight, flight, and freeze. And um, so we've got a fourth one that, that, uh, has been added in over time. And so anyways, today we're going to talk about the second one in in our series, and that's flight. And so um, guys, thank you. So before we get uh, too far down the road of practicalities, can Becca, do you mind outlining for us just what what is the flight stress response? 
Absolutely. So like JD said, the stress responses are these automatic, the way that your body responds when you're stressed out. So the flight response, kind of just what it sounds like, is going to fly away um, from whatever the stressor is. And so this can look, as with any of the responses, like a million different ways. But if you're going to have a flight response, you're going to be avoiding conflict, danger, uncomfortable feelings, um, feeling uh, scared, feeling upset, uh, maybe feeling like someone's mad at you. And so the flight response, um, kind of a helpful framework to think about it is you might run away from the conflict or you might run towards something so you don't have to think about the conflict or the stressor. And so uh, it can be a little tricky with flight, but it could look like someone who literally deflects, avoids, escapes, or these like perfectionists like myself, these perfectionist overachievers, we might be flying towards something like work or, you know, cleaning the house if we're stressed out because that's something that we feel like is achievable and whatever else is stressing us out feels not achievable. So that's kind of a, the basics of what flight is. Great. Uh, Rachel, anything to add to that before we yeah, I think I love how Becca was talking about cleaning the house because that is absolutely what I will end up doing or I'm trying to, um, I'm a flighter, so I'm always the one running away from that stressor. Yeah. And what happens is I seem to find every other thing that needed to happen that doesn't really need to happen, but it's clearly now way more important <laughs> than all the other things that are stressing me out that I don't want to have to do, so... That was a great example, Becca. If you sense that all three of us are laughing way too hard at this, it's because all three of us are flight. Like our stress response is flight. And so this is just an insanely personal episode for all three of us. Um, you know, when we're trying to identify this, either in ourselves, I mean, Becca, you mentioned um, earlier that you didn't realize until recently that your stress response was flight. And I think for a lot of us, which is, you know, it's a very flighty thing to want to not figure out what your response is. I was the same way. It wasn't until we were going through the ETC parent training course years ago um, and thinking about this with our kids that I really realized, I think this is, this is me. Um, so for those who are just trying to identify within themselves or trying to, um, trying to figure this out for their kids. Um, what does this look like practically? Like how does this play itself out in human beings? Yeah, um, I can take that. So one of the things that I see a lot, both in practice and then just with, you know, people in general, because I might be looking at it all the time because we're so focused on this in life these days, is just sort of this idea of I'm out, right? Like um, it can look like, truly running away, right? So um, like a kid, I've had kids that actually run away from you when something is too hard to talk about. A lot of times um, you can hide or cover up. Um, and it can look, it can even look kind of strange that way. Um, I've seen before, like uh, I had a girl that I used to work with that would actually pull all of her hair in front of her face and cover her face with her hair. So, you know, sometimes you see that and you think, oh, that's a little weird. Yeah. Um, but that's truly like literally covering up your face or like hoodies, putting your hoodie up or, yeah. or like going to sleep are all different examples of what you might see when someone's yeah. trying to kind of get out in flight. Another one that I'd like to add uh, is humor. So if you think about Gosh. like 
if you've got a kid who you're trying to have a serious conversation, you're trying to tell them something and they're just like making the most random joke, it could be that that serious conversation feels uncomfortable to them. So they've got to deflect. So that's one. Sometimes, sometimes people just have a sense of humor, but if it seems to be coming out every time we talk about math homework, (laughs) you might start to wonder, I wonder if there's some stress associated with the math homework, because if we're deflecting with humor, um, and so that's one that can happen a lot and it can be, maybe they're going to distract themselves or you. And sometimes it works, right? That's the thing about stress responses. If falling asleep means I don't have to do the thing that I don't (laughs) want to do, or if telling a joke gets my mom off track and she forgets what she was saying, um, that's why we continue to do them because sometimes they do work to get us out of the situation. And if you're, I mean, for each of us, and if you're listening to this and you've ever had someone in your care, and I'm, I'm thinking of when I used to do after school programs, there was a particular kid who used to hysterically laugh in my face when I got serious about him shaping up and like kind of, you know, getting his behavior sort of back into, back into line. There might not be anything more frustrating on earth than that. And if you don't understand where that's coming from, it's real easy to then double and triple down. And before you realize it, you know, kids loaded down with triple consequences because of their stress response, which is only going to complicate that, that response. Um, and possibly then like lead to a breaking point within that, that kid. And so, um, it's so important for us to recognize these things because then we can, I feel like care for, um, ourselves and those that are in our care a lot more effectively. Um, what, you know, when we try to think about this, we think about like what typically we have to look sort of behind the, the skin of it, so to speak, like what is driving this behavior? Like, is it, is it always fear? Is it always something else? Is, I mean, what, when we look at the, the motivators of this, like Becca, what is that? Man, I think it is fear and self-protection. Those are kind of the two factors at play. There's probably, you could probably read many more, um, but I think about, and let me throw out one more example to illustrate it. So one that uh, we mentioned on social media and you guys seem to really resonate with was lying. And so think about lying as a stress response. It's motivated from this sense of like, man, I got to avoid getting in trouble or oh, this situation would just go a lot smoother if I just tell this little white light, we would just be able to keep it moving. I won't have to sit with this very long. And so for many of us, like you said about if someone's laughing at you, that's a big trigger for adults. And if someone is lying to you, that's a huge trigger for adults. It's such a big topic that I think we're actually, we've got a great guest coming on in a little while to talk more about it. So there will be a whole episode just on lying, but it is, can be a flight stress response. And so when that happens, it's motivated by, I don't like conflict. I've been in it before. It didn't go well for me. I don't want that to happen again. So if I can just lie and keep it moving. Um, And so I think flight is often motivated by that kind of thing, by this like, Keep it moving. Keep it rolling. Yeah. And if I could add to that too, when you mentioned self-protection, I feel like that is so true. Like when we talk about the stressor and um, stress responses happening because of an actual threat, but that perceived threat is this protecting Mm -hmm. your sort of psychological well-being and that just like feeling safe. And no matter what happens, 
sometimes as the adult, when you're looking at a kid saying, well, clearly they're fine, or I'm not really mad at you. I can't tell you how many times I say that at home with my kids. I'm like, I'm not going to be mad. I'm not mad. Why are you hiding? I don't, you know, there's nothing wrong, but they perceive that I'm going to be mad. So that's why you get that lying or whatever that response is hiding. Um, just to protect themselves. Well, I mean, this hits so painfully close to home. Uh, just to give a personal example, I, growing up, I mean, was a big time liar. Like that was, if I was, if I sensed that trouble was coming and really for me, it was, uh, my parents, you know, they moved to grounding. They realized grounding was a very effective form of punishment for me, of discipline for me. And so like, there would be moments where, I sensed a good grounding coming on and I knew there was a friend's birthday party or there was X, Y, or Z thing coming up. And so really quickly in my head then, I would get real slippery and figure out like, what is it, what is a good alibi? Like what, what, how can I like weasel out of this particular trouble? Because in my mind, well, like what I did was not worthy of not going to so-and-so's birthday party. Right. And so like, I'm just going to make sure that I still get to go because this would be dumb for me to get grounded. So I start living in the future, deciding what the outcome is going to be and that I have my own trial in my head. Like, well, it wasn't that bad. So I can lie about this and get out. All of that happens. I mean, for those of you who are listening and that's not funny, it's like really infuriating to you. I can only, I can only just tell you that like in those moments, it is, Becca mentioned it being impulsive. Like there is a, there is a feeling that wells up within you of, okay, I can, I can skirt the truth here and not get in trouble. And if I tether some part of the truth to it, it's not really lying anyway. So it's not a big deal. Now, I'm not endorsing that as like, that's good and right and true. And we should all like embrace this with our kids. What I am saying is that um, a lot of that stemmed from this feeling of not being physically unsafe. I was never physically unsafe growing up. It was that like, I, I wasn't, I didn't always feel free to tell the truth because if there was anything sketchy that would happen, it was instant consequences and discipline instead of kind of conversations about how to avoid those things in the future or whatever. So, you know, one thing that we've tried to do with, with our kids is to create this environment of um, over-assuring and reassuring that like, you know, we, we just want to know what's going on and if you'll share it with us and like being extra patient in the drawing out of that, if you'll just share it with us, like we can talk through that. And then once everybody's eyes are open to it and once there's been a clear communication about where some limits are, then if that stuff gets crossed, then they, they're, they're, everybody's full aware. But we're not tricking anyone into, you know, having to like confess something and then popping them for it later. That literally happened last night at my house. Oh, so gosh. you were talking about that as you were saying, you know, t- reassuring them and helping them to know. And I, I was, I came home late last night. Kids were already home and doing their thing. And one had gotten in a little trouble at school and no big deal talking in the hallway. Um, happens a lot. Can relate. And he did not want to be in trouble for it. And I didn't, I didn't even know what had happened. And other people didn't even know what was going on, but he was like running away, hiding, and I kind of walked into it. And the first thing I said was, buddy, I'm not mad at you. Like whatever's going on, it's okay. You are not in trouble. And so giving that reassurance I think is really important. And and it does help him kind of step out and say, okay, I actually am hearing this. I am safe. It's not what I was thinking it was. That perceived threat then can be sort of realized as not a true threat. Mm -hmm. And that just feels like... 
it, this, the feeling of I'm going to be in trouble is so hard to overcome. So parents, when you are stepping into that, just know, again, from a recovering liar, just know that those first few times, it is a massive, terrifying hurdle to jump over, to walk right out with a confession of what you did, or to walk right out and be completely vulnerably honest about the mistake you had. Because what is resonating in the back of your mind, trying to get you not to do that is this fear that you're going to share this once, but you'll be rejected in the future because this is terrible and you should never have done this in the first place. So go ahead and just lie about it because when they find out, they are not going to want you around anymore. And that might sound overly deep for talking in the hall or whatever. I promise you it's exactly how it felt for, for me growing up. Um, and, and I still, like I was sharing with them before we started recording, like even within our life now as a grown adult and father of four, I mean, that impulse to still not, not be forthright about stuff still lives within me. And, is, and, I, and I, over time I have learned and been taught and kind of been counseled on how to suppress that and, and how to work around that. And I've seen that living in, you know, like truth and honesty is a very like uh, peaceful and way, way less tiring path to walk, but it took a long time to learn. So just give, give plenty of grace, give plenty of, of, uh, of chances um, and, and kind of patience with your kids as they're uh, learning this as well. And I think that reassurance, again, all we're trying to get to is to be able to figure out the heart behind what's going on to be able to address that more than we are trying to be, you know, running around playing cops and robbers with our kids, right? I feel, I just, when you're saying that, I'm thinking about the feeling of feeling like it is okay for me to make a mistake or yeah. have conflict with someone and we're still going to be okay at the end of the day. That's what I'm like reflecting on over here. I'm thinking, man, and I know parents spend so much time telling kids, you're not going to be in trouble. You're safe. You're okay. Yeah. And I just am remembering like felt safety is more than just you telling Hearing that to your it, kids. Yes, it's yes. them feeling it. And so I think don't get frustrated or discouraged if you've said it a hundred times, just keep thinking about building felt safety in so many ways with the, with the way that your body is postured, with the way, what you're saying to them, with how you're connecting with them outside the moment, but there's just so much more to it. And I just think about as a, you know, flighter myself, the relationships where I don't fly are the ones where I feel like I feel safe. I feel like this, I'm going to be okay. Like our relationship can handle whatever the conflict is, but if it's yeah. a relationship where I'm not sure, man, I'm going to, I'm going to deflect with humor. And I also think family culture has something to do with it in my, you know, my family growing up, you don't talk about hard things. Um, that started with uh, my dear sweet grandmother because she had a real, she had a hard life. And so mm. she would focus on the positives and, um, that was taken to an extreme level. So if you never talk about the hard things, then you run away from the hard things, which is what That's I've right. tended to do. So it's learning how to be in those uncomfortable moments. And I just, um, I just want parents to know, you know, I'm 30 and I'm still learning it. So give your kids yes. time to learn those things and to, and to be able to internalize that. I love that example. That was great. Yeah. So, you know, and we're already kind of in this, <laughs> we're already sort of talking about this now, but, um, if you're trying to support somebody who deals with flight as a stress response, um, 
sorry, if we are trying to support ourselves, those of us who deal with flight as a stress response, and if you're trying to understand what that feels like, can I, how, how do we support ourselves? How do we, um, how do we work through that? Um, Rachel, why don't you speak to that? Sure. Um, one of the things that I think is really important is, first of all, just knowing that about yourself. So taking some time to reflect on how you respond when things are hard. Are you a flighter? So once you can identify that, then figure out what it looks like for you, um, kind of your go-to things. Is it, you know, hiding? Is it going to your room? Is it going, you know, on a drive? Do you just walk away? Are you using humor? What is it that you're doing? And then talk to the people that you are most likely to have that kind of response with, a spouse, mm -hmm. best friends, coworkers, um, and help them understand kind of where you're coming from so that they can also support you and be aware in that time. And then I think it's really important to sort of have a plan. I feel like all the time when I'm thinking about responding in stress and conflict, it's so much easier for me, but it for most people to have a plan, but what are you going to do instead? Like if running away isn't the best choice or like the, you know, most productive choice and you know that's kind of your inclination, how can you stop, take a deep breath, give yourself a moment to say, I'm going to just step out and I'm going to count to 10 and then I'm going to come back. So you're still allowing yourself that moment to get a break, walk away, kind of regroup and regulate but then coming back to it and saying, okay, now I can handle this. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's really helpful. Yeah. Becca, anything to speak to outside of that? Oh, I just think yes to what Rachel said. And remember that it's physical. So like your heart might be beating really fast or something like that, or you might be sweating. And so just pay attention to that. And um, yeah, communicate. Like I need to take a walk, but I'm not going to let myself take a walk and then change the subject and then turn on the TV so that I'll talk about it. So it's that like, you know, yeah, it, it's, we talk a lot about nurture structure. So it's like, give yourself the nurture, but also the structure, like give yourself the boundary yeah. of, but I'm going to, you know, when I'm calm, when I'm not sweating and when my heart's not racing, we are going to address whatever the thing is that's making me stressed out. Oh, I love, oh, there were two things. You, I got to say this because this, yeah. there are two things you said that I thought are so important. And one is the boundary, right? Like one is allowing yourself to feel what you feel. It's okay. Mm -hmm. um, and that goes back to not talking about hard things or not wanting to have those hard feelings of being yeah. stressed out or being scared or being frustrated. It's okay. Those are normal feelings and we are built to have those feelings. So let yourself feel it, but also give yourself an appropriate boundary and say, this is not all night. This is not forever. We're yeah. never going back. Like, yeah. okay, I'm going to take my walk. And when I come back from that walk, um, I feel like those are really important points. I'll add what I, what I, I mean, yes to everything that's been said so far. For me, what I've found to be, and this is not going to be everybody's response, but for me in particular, once I share that with somebody, then my, the, the people pleaser in me that's scared of letting people do it like leverages that in a healthy way. Now I don't share it with just random people, but with my wife in particular, I'll, I'll say, Hey, I'm feeling really overwhelmed about X, Y, or Z thing, or I'm, I'm really fearful that, you know, when we have this conversation that this is going to turn on me in a really bad way, or um, this kid's going to be really upset when I go to address this particular thing or a hard conversation at work or whatever. 
And once I've shared it out loud, so, so often when these things come out of our mouths and through our ears, it's like it's a different message, right? Like we get to hear it as it actually sounds and you're like, well, that's crazy. <laughs> you know? And so I think there's a helpfulness to us hearing those thoughts. And if you, if you deal with these things, to be able to hear it out loud and see somebody else's reaction um, is sometimes the most helpful thing for me in particular. Because then I know I'm kind of on a timer and I've told them I'm gonna come back and take care of this. And so it gives me the motivation to like take what I need and then get right in there and have that uh, do whatever the hard thing is. Um, so let's move on to kind of this from a, a parenting or from a relationship standpoint. If we're trying to support people who are uh, like us <laughs> dealing with flight, <laughs> what have we found from whether it's been spouses or parents or, um, and, and sometimes it's our kids even that, that help us to, to learn these things. But what, what, are, what are some of the ways in which we can best support our kids who are dealing with this stress response? Um, I'll take that. I'll start, I'll start with that one. Um, one of the things that's so important is to, like I said, for yourself, is respecting that feeling is also respecting your kid or, yeah. the, or your spouse in feeling mm-hmm. it. Um, I've seen this. Uh, it's like I can feel it. Like I have these, you know, flashbacks of these feelings yeah. where I've been in a classroom before where um, a kid was really upset. They were not feeling comfortable for a number of reasons had hidden under a hoodie, and they were disengaged. It was definitely a flight response. And the teacher was like, come on, you need to take your hoodie off. You need to engage and push, 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 and which was just pushing them further away, right? So respecting kind of where your kid or where your spouse is or – I mean, this goes across all relationships. But recognizing that – this is where they're at. It is physical. It's biological. And then we have to help them get out of it, particularly for our kids. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, nice to help your spouse or anybody else <laughs> you might be around, you know, help co-regulate. But recognizing that first and then supporting them by really getting on their level, helping them feel safe, whatever it takes to help them feel safe um, in that moment, I think is is kind of the starting place. I think a lot of when we were talking about how to support ourselves, um, a lot of what we were saying takes a lot of like thinking about your thoughts and kids don't have quite that much of a developed yeah. ability to do that yet. Yeah. So I think I love what you said, Rachel, just about focusing on felt safety in that moment, because we as grown adults can spend a lot of time thinking about where was that coming from and how could I, you know, respond differently in the moment. And for kids, it's just your brain is still developing. And so I think just remembering that as parents. And so the goal when you are got a kiddo experiencing flight is to get them back to a calm place. You can't address whatever the issue is until they're calm. And so I think sometimes we get caught in power struggles with any of the any of the stress responses. But with flight, what I think that looks like is we want to make them do the thing they're avoiding right now, or we want to punish them. Yeah. And so I think if we can back off, if we can give time and space when it's when it's appropriate, when it's allowed, you know, there are some things that we've got to do and there's a timeline that's outside of us. That's true. So if we know that our kid tends to flight, we need to do a lot of preparing them for that moment before they're in the moment. And then if it's something that we can back off of, right? Like if math homework is making your kid tell jokes like 
crazy. Can you pause for a second and let them go to their like humorous place, get back calmed down before we try to re-engage with the math homework with intentional support? Hey, it seems like this isn't something that you want to do by yourself. I'm cooking dinner. When I'm done cooking dinner, how about if I sit next to you and we do it together? So yeah. offering support for whatever this, and I know I keep using math homework, which is like, <laughs> that's not the only thing I've mentioned it a bunch of times, but whatever the conflict or the stressor or the thing that they're trying to avoid is, if we can give them support yeah. and allow them time and space, obviously as appropriate with the lying one, I know we're doing a whole podcast about it, but we often want to make them tell the truth. And I think sometimes it's enough to just go, I know you took your sister's toy and just keep it moving. And just like, instead of forcing them to say the words in that moment, sometimes I think that makes us more stressed and them more stressed. And if the goal is really long-term for them to feel safe enough to not flee, not flight, um, that's what we got to pay attention to. Yeah. Those are some of my thoughts. That's, I mean, it's awesome. And some of what I'm about to ask kind of crosses, a, you know, a whole bunch of different barriers, like whether it's fight, flight, freeze, fallen, any of those. Mm-hmm. But um, can, can y'all just speak to kind of the reminder that biologically sometimes in these moments, sometimes we need to address nutrition or, you know, the physical yeah. elements. Like, are you hot? Are you cold? Are you thirsty? Are you hungry? I mean, do y'all just want to kind of do another quick speak to that? Yeah, I think that's... Uh a valid point. I mean, a lot of times we, I, I, hangry is like a real thing, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. we're hungry, grab a Snickers, right? You know, sometimes our blood sugar's low, sometimes we're dehydrated. And often, like um, Becca was talking about how kids don't recognize those thoughts as well. I mean, obviously thoughts, but they don't recognize a lot of their needs. Right. They don't realize they're dehydrated. They don't realize that they haven't eaten for four hours and they're hungry. Um, Mm -hmm. And you think, oh, well, you had a snack at school, right? Or you had lunch at school and you shouldn't be hungry yet. And you think about the time, but then you realize, oh, wait, you actually didn't eat your lunch today. What happened? Oh, you had, you spilled syrup on your pants and you had to go, (laughs) you know, you spent half of lunch cleaning the syrup off your pants. So you didn't get to finish eating. And so now you're falling apart. Yeah. And so recognizing that there could be other reasons. So meeting those needs, um, you know, nutrition absolutely is a big one. Other things, oh, they had cupcakes for someone's birthday today, and now they're on like a sugar <laughs> rush or a sugar crash. And you're like, oh, that makes sense. Um, so I feel like a lot of times those are some basic things. Um, also, you were saying something too um, that reminded me about just meeting those sensory needs, um, yeah. just recognizing that in that moment, um, the best way to really connect is not going to be through words. It's not going to be through reasoning because if you're in that stress response, um, I'm sure y'all talked about this on the other podcast, right? Like going into how there's different parts of the brain that are activated at that time. So yeah. you want to try to connect with them where they're able to connect with you. So sometimes it's going to be some pressure or sometimes it's going to be needing a big hug or needing to feel like they're safe and covered up and under something for a minute to then be able to come out of it. Yeah. So I think that's, yeah. I think too, moving your body oh, is yes. helpful for almost all of them, but because the flight response, you tend to want to be out of this situation. Yeah. Going for a walk so is going to be a yeah. really easy go-to. Let's go for a walk. Let's do a specific task that's in a different part of the house. Let's 
take the dog for a walk. Let's do whatever we can to honor that their body feels like I got to move and just like roll with that. It's hard. Um, you know, we say this probably every time, but as we give these ideas and things, like it's really important to know your kid because your kid might be the hoodie. And so maybe the way that you honor them is by giving them a blanket to put over their head. Like maybe that's the way you go. I see you and I can tell that you need to disconnect for a second. Hey, let's get this cool blanket. Um, can I sit with you? Like, is that okay? If, if I'm right here, or if you've got like the literal runaway down the street, you know, maybe it's, let's go for a walk. Like, okay, let's go for a walk. Let's honor that need. Or if it's the humor kid, maybe you just roll with them. You be playful with them. You meet them where they are. So we say that every time, but I think it's so true because you can't um, put kids into a box like, oh, they are flight. Therefore I will do X. Like it's so much more nuanced than that. So I love all the different ideas and just getting to know your kid and what they need. Um, Yeah. I would, and I, and I love just thinking about movement and hydration. Let's go get a snack. Let's go get a drink, like use movement and things that you know are going to help regulate that brain. And over time, you know, sometimes you see the meltdown happening and you're like, all right, time for me to get a cup of ice water and whatever. And I'm just going to bring that straight to, I'm not even going to start the conversation. So I'm like, Hey, um, and, you know, our, our kids in particular will recognize language. So when I, when I'll do like a, it looks like you're thirsty. Sometimes it's like, I'm not thirsty, you're thirsty. Like, yes. so sometimes <laughs> I'll just come and say like, hey, are you, you, you want something to drink? I, I just had this. That way, like it slips under the radar of like, stop trying to ETC me, dad. Like, and so, oh, yes. sorry for that voice. That was so sorry. None of our kids talk like that. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I do want to mention one thing that, um, was a huge paradigm shift for us in a helpful way. Um, and I don't remember if this was Mo and Tana that shared this, but when we were taking um, the ETC course years ago, I can remember uh, addressing flight and talking about, you, know, you might have a kid who is a literal, like wants to leave the house and get out. And, you know, here's a, suge- a suggestion, you know, go with them. And I remember thinking like, these people are out of their minds. No way do you <laughs> let a kid leave the house when they're trying to run away. Well, you know, lo and behold, you know, now in our house, we've got, we've got some that occasionally like to just get out and change their environment in those moments. And so our kind of one liner that we will use all the time, because of course they're going to tell you not to follow you, not to follow them, or, you know, I don't want to be near you, whatever. That's fine. I'm not going to allow you to go away by yourself. So I'll stay behind you, but I'm going to walk with you because I'm not leaving you alone in this place. Like I'm not, I'm not going to leave you alone in this, in this spot of, of anger or the spot of disappointment or whatever. So you're fine to go as long and far as you want to go. Just know I'm not leaving you. I'm going to stay behind. And when you're ready, we can talk, but there's no rush. So we can go as far as you want. There's, you know, sometimes that's best physically walking. There are other times where uh, just, you know, we've got a lot of people in our house. So sometimes going for a drive is a good bait kind of in that that bait sounds so bad but the to be able to offer like intervention it's a good intervention yeah it's (laughs) thank you for the scientific like appropriate word behind that um sometimes it's like it feels like you need to get out for a second why don't we drive around for a minute and i we live next to a fairly busy road and so i will use that opportunity to floor it when we get on the open road and have all the windows down so there's a rush of wind to the face sometimes it's a change of temperature like and there's a quick kind of sensory input, they can almost sometimes function like uh, smelling salts, you know, just sort of like get the brain going, oh, oh, okay, we're in the car. What happened? You know, so I think that's just a practical suggestion for those of you who might have 
uh, runners. I don't, I don't know if you want to suggest any more. Sort of a random, but it reminded me of it, is um, washing your face oh, or yeah. even your hands, you yeah. know, splashing with cold water or warm water. Or um, we mentioned having a drink of water, but you could also have something hot. Do you want some hot cocoa or hot tea or yeah. something that's warm can also feel soothing. So kind of looking at that, but... Um, I think that is so important to like just a change, yeah. just that yeah. that change of scenery, kind of shake things up a little bit, get out of that. Because so often you're just stuck, right? Yeah. They're just sort yeah. of stuck and can't in their head or physically get out of what that stressor is. So trying yeah. to just change it up um, if you can, whether it's outside, talk about walking and driving, but I mean, can you just go outside and you know, um, run to the tree and back or the end of the driveway and back. Or if you have a swing set, you know, they now is a a good time to swing or go on the trampoline or, um, something like that can even just be, or, or, um, I've got an artist in my family. And so she says, I'm going to go on the back porch and I'm going to draw, you know, okay, go draw, you know, so that gives her that moment to do that. Um, and so you're still getting away, but it's not like, far away. Right. And then the other thing you said was, you know, staying close, you want to keep them safe, right? So all of this, I mean, just across the board, as parents, it is absolutely our job to keep our kids safe. So physically, I mean, we're we're talking about felt safety and we don't want to give up, give them felt safety and let them walk when they're actually physically unsafe, right? Right. So we got to keep those lines and that balance. And I loved your example, JD, about kind of, I'm, you can't go by yourself. Like I'm not leaving yeah. you alone, but I'm going to give you the space you need and yes. walk behind you to yeah. watch and make sure you don't get run over by a car. Right. Cause that's kind of important. You know, yeah. I want to take care of them. So finding <laughs> have, those lines. We've had one that wanted to leave on a bike one time so that we couldn't follow them. And this will always be the case, but they're young enough now that I said, that's fine. I'll run with you. <laughs> and so, you know, as they get older, that's not going to be possible for me. But, um, you know, I think what I've seen too on the back end is now that we've got several years of those episodes kind of behind us, like there's not even a question. And so what we're also doing is building in them a foundation of, they, they really love us even when we're in our junk, like even when we're in, in the bad spots, like, and I know as soon as I try to leave the house, dad's going to say, well, I have to go with you. And, but that they can roll their eyes about it now, but you can start to tell over time the comfort that exists in that. Like they know they can get out and go walk for a minute. And so you know what? What used to be this big fight in the beginning when it was sort of scary for us, like this this kid or kids wanted to get out and run. Now that's not even as much of a thing because they kind of know, well, if I go, they're just going to follow me and be calm and be cool about it. And so maybe that's not the response I want. I'll figure out something else. So in all these moments, like when we get to our stress response place in our brain, sometimes we want to say or do hurtful things to our caregivers just to try to get some distance. And as people who are flying, whether it's laughing in somebody's face or, or just crazy talking them to the point where they're so frustrated, they walk away. Sometimes that's our goal. So if we can remember that and know that, it does help us in those moments to kind of calm down. And, and I do, I don't know about y'all, I, I find with my kids, the the more quickly something escalates, the cooler it helps me to be because I can see like, oh, this is this is something scientific happening. Like there is a brain exchange happening and I can then know like, if I'll stay calm, we're done faster. And I can kind of like settle in like, 
the other night, there may or may not have been a basketball game I wanted to watch that was on my phone propped up behind a pillow as I waited for someone to calm down. <laughs> and so, um, you know, just remember that you've got to, you've got to weather these storms, but it does get easier as you get consistent in how you respond to them. You build those connections, yeah. you know, and then they learn and whether they've had, um, when we talked about what drives it, right? These yeah. experiences, avoiding conflict, sometimes it's just partly your personality and your wiring of wanting to be that that's my wiring. I want to avoid conflict. I want people to like me. So there's just that natural inclination, or it could be because your kiddos experience trauma or toxic stress and they need to rewire some of those connections because what used to be is no longer true. So, um, for them in that moment. So we're trying to teach them that you are there. So as you kind of move forward and rewire and strengthen those connections, they'll learn that, you know, yeah, you're, you are coming either way. Dad's going to follow me and he's there for me, whether or not I want him, whether I'm mean to him, he's always going to be there. And that means something, right? It really means something. And over time that sort of settles, like you said, you kind of get into a a groove of it. Yeah. I think too about, this conversation, man, I'm just thinking about the word scaffolding and we probably don't have time to explain it, but basically baby steps, breaking down something that you want them to do into baby steps is my like one sentence. So I'm thinking about that because I did spend six years working in schools and we had kids who would run into the street, right? And so the first thing you have to do is you have to literally stop them from running into the street. And so it's like, okay, you're telling me to do all these other cool things, but I can't do that yet. Um, but I think if we see the whole picture, okay, so I had to stop him from running into the street. I need to spend every minute that I'm with this kid outside of those stressful moments, yes. laughing, connecting and building relationship and yeah. getting oh, to yes. know them and like deepening our relationship. And what's going to happen over time is like, they're going to start to run. Then they're going to look back to see if I'm following them. Right. And so then it's going to walk into kind of what you're describing JD. So I think, you know, if you are parenting a kid or supporting a kid who's experienced some significant trauma, you might be like, those ideas sound cool, but right Right. now it's just literally dangerous. So I love that you said, Rachel, you do have to keep them literally safe. Or if you've got a toddler who's just running, you might have to like literally pick them up. Like you might have to save them. But don't lose sight of you can still do all these other strategies that we're describing outside the moment and inside the moment because over time, the kid might run only to the door. Then they might walk away, but just into the next room. Then they might, you know, they're going to like take baby steps towards being able to face the stressor. But we can't expect a kid who is running down the street to tomorrow be able to like sit there and calmly tell you what they're feeling and how they're like, that's just not how humans work. Like we need lots of practice and time. I do. I want to throw out one thing that you can do when the kids are a little older with, and I did this with varying levels of success. You can try to teach the kid, this is your safe place to go. Um, What I would say when I was a baby social worker, I tried that and the kids never, it never worked. Like I I was like, well, why did I teach them about the safe place? They just ran out the door anyway. So what I started to do was pay more attention to like, okay, when they run, where are they running? And so like we had one guy and he always ran to the same bench. And so it's like, why am I trying to make my office his safe place? 
obviously she wants to go to that bench. And so although, you know, my gut reaction as an adult is like, oh my gosh, he could get hit by a car. The bench is actually not by the street. It's not, it's in a fenced area. I just need to go to him and meet him and where he feels safe. So I think too, you know, we want to jump a lot of times. And I do think it's good outside the moment to teach kids about what safe places are and how to be safe. And yes, you can go on a walk, but I'm going to come with you or, Yes, you can leave the room, but not the house. Like, it's good to teach those things. But if you're feeling like, well, that's not working, start to just pay attention to where they're running to. And if possible, like you're saying, JD, meet them right there instead of, like, forcing them to go to what you've identified as a safe place, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I mean, that reminds me too, that you can, when we talked about having a plan, right? You know, it's so important to have a plan. Mm -hmm. And if you know that that's their place... You can also start to empower them to ask for what they need. Right. If they need to go to the bench, then instead of it being a conflict where they run to the bench, and this is your baby steps, so you've had these baby steps, so after a while, they might be able to then be able to say, I need to go to my, my safe place. I need to go to the bench. And whether it's, you know, there's different techniques you can use to give them that option. You know, in a school, maybe it's like a popsicle stick that says bench on it and they can like give you that little stick and yeah. tell the teacher like, this is what I need right now. And you know where they're going. You're keeping them safe. They're getting what they need. And nobody mm-hmm. is scared for their safety because you know what's actually happening, yeah. which is why we react that way, right? Like that yeah. initial response of, oh, you can't go there. I need you to go to my office and keep you safe. Right. It's because you start to feel afraid right. that you can't keep the kids safe because you don't know what's happening. Yeah. But when you know, like if you meet them where they are, that can be helpful. Yeah. I love that example of popsicle sticks. And I'm thinking too, like as times change, right? Technology, if your kid has a phone, can they text you? Like, can you give them ways to communicate besides just talking? Because for some kids, like writing you a note or sending you a text that just says like, I need space or I'm overwhelmed or I need help. Or you can give like practice some phrases outside the moment, but giving them a way to tell you without having to, because maybe they have siblings and they don't want to say something in front of their siblings, or maybe, you know, that's driving them from flight straight into fight. You know what I mean? Like maybe it's just like, it's showing up in all these different kinds of ways. So I think giving them multiple ways to communicate with you. And I also keep coming back to offer connection, stay close, but also allow them to ask you for space, especially when they start to verbalize. And at first it's not going to sound pretty. It's going to be, get the mess away from me. But if they can translate that with their baby steps into, I need some space, you know, like you said, JD, it's, well, I can't let you walk down the street on your, or right down the street on your bike by yourself, but I can give you emotion. Like I don't have to keep talking to you. Like I can give you some time and space. So I think too, just respecting as they begin to learn how to use their voice, right? Like respecting that need for, Hey, I'm telling you with my actions and my words and my body that I need a minute, give me a minute, right? Within safe limits. And I think, you know, Gosh, well, two two thoughts as we sort of come for home here. With that, uh, when we learn to give space, when we become okay with kind of giving that and having that initial time, then circling back to repair is absolutely essential. Because if if the message that's sent is I asked for space and man came back and they act like nothing ever happened, like 
that's just as bad as meeting them head on and you know, dueling to the death with an argument or whatever. And so if you do come back to repair, because again, the, what we talked about, the core motivator and, and like what we need to do as adults is then to be able to find a way that we can regulate and then face the hard thing. Yeah. Well, if we're just teaching our kids to regulate and then during that regulation period, they get to sort of escape, then it ends up like compounding the difficulty for them one day to come back and regulate so or to come back and, and repair things. So we've got to then make sure we are absolutely tied to, and it's wildly inconvenient. It takes way too much time and patience, but circling back then to repair. And every time you start this process with kids, it is miserable. I'll just say it. It is miserable because they're not used to it. You're not used to it yet. So just remember, give yourself grace, but push through and make sure that that you can come back with some patience. Use that time when they need some space for you to regulate yourself. Like, I'm usually deep breathing down the street because I would like to just fight this kid in the middle of the street if I could, like when they're running away. So I will use that deep breathing as I'm, as I'm kind of giving them a space to keep up. And then when they turn, then I'm sort of ready to say, all right, hey, do you want to talk first? Do you want me to talk first? And then just gentle reminders, hey, we're not going to run away from this. We are going to talk through it. And that's how we solve problems. That's how we get back to being okay with each other. And you know, again, those first couple of times is going to take so much extra energy, but make sure you come back to repair because at the end of the day, we are teaching them how to face hard things. In the same way we co-regulate, you know, we, we co-repair in the beginning too, and that, that grows into the ability to independently repair with other people as they grow older. Yes. <laughs> All of that. All the things. Um, and I, I would say, and Becca, I don't know if you want to speak to this. You know, one of the things we, we hear Mo and Tana Ottinger say constantly, and I feel like they are masters of this and I am not yet there, is don't take it personal, don't make it personal. And do you want to speak to that? I mean, you, in a school setting, I feel like you had to face that so, so often. Oh, it's so hard. <laughs> um, it feels, you know, it feels so personal when a kid is responding to you, right? A lot of times you're the adult that's giving the direction that's right. making them want to run away. Um <laughs> or flight, whatever that looks like. And so if you can remember that it's an automatic response, if you can remember that it could be driven by fear, impulsivity, their brain, like if you can just keep yourself regulated, then you can choose how to respond. Just like you said, JD, I love how you were explaining the balance of structure and nurture. Like you were explaining it so well, you have to hold the boundary, but you give so much support and co-regulation and co-support. And then I think too, um, Kids need to be reassured that our presence doesn't depend on their performance. Yeah. And I think that's especially important to flight response folks because so much of the flight is, I'm going to run away before you leave me. Like so much of that is tied to fear of rejection. I think you said earlier, Rachel, and like abandonment. And so I just think don't take it personal. Know that they're probably taking it really personal. And so they're going to need you as the adult to step into it and reassure them, even if it was a terrible interaction, like you said, JD, even if it was miserable for you, they need to know, I still love you. We're right. still in this together. Yeah, I'm still going to value you. I'm still going to show up for you. And um, I don't want anybody on this podcast to hear us say about space and think that we should force our kids to take space. Right. We okay. always, always want to offer connection presence. Yes. We want to stick close. Right. 
we just want to respect, you know, a kid's need for, I just need a minute. I just need yeah. some space to, you know, so I, I do want to be really clear about that, but they need to know it's not personal for us. Like we still love you. Yeah. Like we still care about you. Yeah. That's so good. And I think too, um, I like that you're sort of throwing out these, just, just to throw it out, you know, remember this is not exactly what we're saying, but yeah. it doesn't mean that something's hard and therefore kids can run away or escape or flight however they do. And therefore they don't have to do the thing, right? You know, if they need to do the math homework, to go back to your examples, Mm -hmm. if they need to talk about the hard thing that happened at school or the whatever, giving them space doesn't mean completely letting it go and letting them escape Mm -hmm. dealing with it. It means giving them a minute to handle it on their own in internally, right? Like giving them that space to, to think about it, to calm down so that next you can be there to help support them through it. But coming back, doing the repair, yeah. um, doing the work and then moving forward. Yeah. Um, I know Mo and Tana also say it's not over till it's over, yeah. but when it's over, it's over. Yes. So, so moving forward, you know, repair and then go play and have fun and, you know, yeah. move yeah. on with life and let it go, um, which can be hard. I mean, I know that some yeah. of these things are hard. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, personally, no, have talked to people. I know, you know, right. it is hard when you go through something very stressful on you and you're having to be, you know, the grown up, like, you know, mm-hmm. we are <laughs> to yeah. then just let it all go. Um, but mm-hmm. we want we want to be able to do that and keep moving forward. Yeah. Gosh, so many good thoughts. Um, I think, guys, this is a perfect stopping point for us there. Thank y'all both so much again for joining us today. And um, yeah, can't wait to talk more about this. Um, we'll be back next week um, to talk about the freeze response. And so uh, make sure you tune in with us then. Uh, well, I'll say it was a bit too personal for me at times, um, and it, it can be tough to look at that, uh, to look introspectively at um, our own stress responses and to, and to really dive into those conversations. Uh, and so, uh, man, just a huge thank you to Dr. Peterman and to uh, Becca for joining us today and, uh, and just being vulnerable and sharing kind of uh, their situations and, um, and how, how these situations make them feel and then um, giving some really great, great advice and understanding of how uh, to support our people in these different stress responses. So uh, we're going to continue this series next week. And so if you are uh, somebody who deals with freeze or fawn, definitely stay tuned because we're going to cover all that um, in the coming weeks here. And we are super excited about that. So for Mo and Tana Ottinger, for everybody here at the ETC team, for Kyle Wright, who edits and engineers all of our audio, and for Tad Jewett, the creator of the music behind the Empowered to Connect podcast, I'm J.D. Wilson, and we will see you next week on the ETC podcast.